I'm going to go to Psalm 139 here in just a moment. And before we get there, there's a lot of Mother's Day sermons that comes out of Proverbs 31. I looked into some of my old notes, and I've tracked sermons for a long time, and there's a few there. There's a few on Hannah. And Proverbs 31 kind of celebrates that the godly influence of a wife, a mother on her family, on others. But there's a, a chapter before that, chapter 30 in Proverbs, where the writer talks about three things being too wonderful for him to grasp. You remember that verse? I don't know how many could name the three things. And he said, fourth is, makes it completely uh, where I can't understand it. <clears throat> now, here's the three things he says is too wonderful for him to grasp. The way of an eagle flying through the air. That's pretty good. The way of a snake on a rock. Now, I do not get that. The way of a ship in the high seas. That's the three. And the fourth that he adds is the way of a man with his maiden. Now, that's the surmisings of the author of Proverbs chapter 30. These were ideas he had. But you know, if I was going to make a list of things too wonderful for me to grasp, I think I'd have to put the wonder of motherhood. The amazing reality of those moms and bringing life into this world and I know this is Mother's Day. We're celebrating Mother's Day. But I can tell you for the firstborn, especially the firstborn, the firstborn is our practice run. That's the one we practice on. Most of us were like that. We, we were like that. And uh, God forgive us for all of the, uh, you know, things that happened there, <clears throat> trying to figure things out. Um, but the firstborn for fathers is pretty awesome, too. I don't think, I, I, I was listening to someone on a podcast and they were saying that their love for their wife went off the chart when they had their first child. And I could identify with that. I already had the greatest admiration. And I really had the greatest admiration for Brenda because in our first pregnancy, in her first pregnancy, she was, she found out she was sick one morning with morning sickness. But we thought, well, okay. But it was afternoon sickness. And it was evening sickness. And the next morning, it was morning sickness. And it was that way for the whole time of her pregnancy. So she prophesied to me that that's the only child we will ever have. <laughs> and I, I accepted that prophecy because I... I couldn't believe that someone could be that sick. She actually dehydrated with both her pregnancies and had to go in the hospital for IVs when you can't keep crackers and Sprite down. It just did not agree with her. So it took about four years of me starting to say, well, you know, the second one doesn't have to be that way. There's could be better. It could be wonderful. You could be these like these other ladies. There's no sickness. And she really kind of wore down, and we agreed to try for a second one, and she really prophesied to me during that pregnancy. But I think my estimation of her just went off the chart. Watching her take care of Jason, Jason, watching her take care of Kelly, and she had Kelly natural, and that just really blew me out of the water how 
wonderful this woman is right here. And it is a wonder of motherhood. I, it, it's something that fathers, we, we're impressed. We can watch. It's kind of like we're a spectator, but there's, nobody knows the feelings of a mom but a mother. And uh, I want to take you to Psalm 139 because um, this is the expression of someone who is, is describing creation. Now, I, I will show you a photograph of Kelly's firstborn here, and I want you to just take a look at it. Because this is what captures, to me, the wonder of a mom with her newborn. This was Christmas of 2010, and little Abigail is heading to being 10 or being 9 this year. I'm jumping ahead. I'm excited because they're coming here in about two or three weeks, and they're going to be here for our yard sale. How's that? So they'll probably pack a suitcase and take it back with them. But when you look at that, what do you, how do you describe that? What kind of adjectives do you use for that? There's a miracle there. There's a miracle in her arms. And listen to the description of that miracle in verse 13 of Psalm 139. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. It's kind of easy to title a Mother's Day message the wonder of motherhood. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body all the days or ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. This kind of fits in that these are too much to grasp. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Do you get the wonder of those words? And isn't it a sad day in our country and we're not talking about in an atheistic, state-controlled, communist nation like China, but in our country, America, where there's the inviting of people here for personal freedom and personal liberty. Isn't it sad that there's an assault on the wonder of what happens in the womb? Isn't that sad? Anger doesn't do anything. Sadness and tears and prayer is what we should have. Because of the way the debate has taken over babies in the womb. In a day, in a day, listen, when 4D ultrasounds. I remember when Kelly got a 4D ultrasound of Joshua, and it was like somebody took a camera and put it inside her womb and took a picture of that child's face. We knew exactly how he would look. And in a day when surgeons can go into the uterus of a pregnant woman, and repair spinal bifida. Before, and, and it's easier to repair that way. And here we are in this debate. The truth is found right there in Psalm 139. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And all of us in this room, there is not a single other person in this room with the same genetic information 
that you have. That you have. Now, I did the 23andMe DNA, and, you know, I'm relieved to know that I'm 100% European. And what does that mean? I, I don't know what that means. I wasn't in despair about that, but I found out some things about my health issues, and that's kind of redirected how I'm eating and stuff. But my DNA is just, that's mine. Your DNA is yours. You are uniquely created by God. There's not another person like you on this planet. And so what is the purpose of mothers when they bring in children? Is it just to nurture them? I'm going to touch on that in just a moment. But I'm going to give you four purposes. And, and these are not where you can write on the back of your handout because what is on the back of your handout, if you got one of them is part of my research for this message. It was a new song that a Carolyn Cobb wrote for this Mother's Day. It was just put on YouTube like 11 days ago. And I'll warn you like I didn't warn my sisters. I didn't warn my sister. I sent this, this video to all of my four sisters. And they says, man, I was crying. I says, yeah, me too. <laughs> I didn't warn you because I've figured that you just needed to have this song come your way. And this is the four purposes of motherhood. Here's number one. God created a woman with incredible instincts. Amen? Built into motherhood is the image of God. God made man, he made woman, he made woman just after his image. So everything about her has his stamp on it. And one of the things that has a stamp on motherhood is this intense instinct of caring for her baby. And we say, well, that's biological. No, not necessarily. There's something innate. Just take, for instance, it's so intense on this nurturing and care that if the baby is not nursing just right, or it's having trouble taking milk, it is an emotional disaster for mom. They feel, first of all, I'm doing something wrong, or there's something wrong with the baby. There's, there's this, because everything about them is that this baby's got to eat. This is the instinct of the mom. I've got to take care of this boy, this little girl. They depend on me for their nourishment, and when that's not happening, it is just a chaotic emotional time. I remember when Colton arrived a little early, and, and the tiny, tiny feeding tube that they had in that child, and you would never know that by looking at him now. What an energetic... But when Brenda and I went to hold him for the first time, it's just amazing. If you ever go to a neonatal care unit, it just is amazing what they can do with children now, with infants. And that little guy made it through that. But I can tell you, you can just ask them, it was a challenge on their emotions. Because everything about them wanted him to be well. This is the instinct. Mothers, though, are made for this challenge. They are some of the most enduring people on the planet. Because they will be relentless in caring for their children. Sometimes they wonder how they can do it with so little sleep when they're so tired and they just would like one break, just a little break, just to have more than maybe two hours of continuous sleep, right? 
But I'm telling you, no matter what it's like in those early weeks, we just were so excited that Kelly slept all night. How old was when she slept all night? It was, we both jumped up and ran in there to make sure she's okay. So, she's breathing, you know, because we slept all through the night. And like this little girl loved sleeping. She was finally got her blessing for all that, that she endured. But this is, this is innate. We will do everything within our power, and moms will do everything within their power. Those first early weeks, they will over, her instinct will override her exhaustion. She will do things that she didn't think she was capable of doing, really. And probably when they look back on it, says, I don't even know how I got through that. I'm telling you, God made women a different way. Their determination when it comes to their children is hard to, for us to fathom. God created that mom after his image, put all of those instincts. Here's the second thing. Motherhood is the best portrait for dependency on God because motherhood will help your prayer life. I don't have to be a mom to tell you that. They know how to depend on God, especially when that fever spikes a little bit. I'm telling you, they become a greater intercessor. They do have this sense of knowing they don't have it all figured out, and God, you're going to have to help me. No telling how many times a young mother, especially with the firstborn, is saying, I don't even know what I'm doing. If it's doing what I'm doing is right. But God, help me. Help me. Give me wisdom. Show me what to do. And what that does, what that points her to, is to go to the Lord and say, you've got to help me. No longer is there this sense of, I got this, I can do this. I'm confident in my ability. It's like, I can do this, Lord. You have to take over. You have to show me what to do. And what that leads, it deepens a mother's dependency on God. One of the things I came across was this song that I'd, I'd mentioned that just as a tearful song, The Wonder uh, by Carolyn Cobb. And in the second verse, the third verse, you just be brave. The third verse will wear you out. But in the second verse, she talks about responding to her children in anger, and she's telling the child she's sorry, and she's dealing with her failures, and she says, I tell you what it takes me. It takes me to the cross. When I go there, it takes care of those failures, right? Just when someone thinks, I've got this, I know what's going on, God shows you that you don't have it, and you don't have it all figured out. Motherhood is that perfect laboratory for learning dependency on God and a reliance on Christ. The helpless feelings of a stressful mom really takes her to her creator. It might take her to a book. <laughs> she might go for a book and she might lean on other moms. This is the third thing. Motherhood enhances the prospects. Listen, and when we do a baby dedication, this is right in my thinking when we pray. A mother is the best evangelist in the home. Motherhood is a way for that child to have eternal life. Because not only has she brought forth a biological being, she's brought forth an eternal being. Not only has God entrusted her with the instincts of caring and nursing and feeding and clothing and bathing and giving protection around that child, but God has entrusted her 
to lead that child to the Lord, to lead that child in a faith walk. How early? Well, I might get to that a little bit later. Let me, you know, Susanna Wesley is well known for having 19 children. 19 children. What did the J.W. Tucker and Ella Tucker, what they have, 17? 17? Her paternal grandmother was one of 17 kids, all from the same mom. Her, this was always Brenda's worry, her paternal grandmother was one of a twin, and there was two sets of twins in that 17. And I found a family in a 1920 census, and Mr. Tucker was in logging in 1920 down in Ellisville, Mississippi, and in their home, in their home in 1920, was he and his wife, 11 kids, and his parents. I asked him, I said, what kind of dining room table did y'all have? I got to interview some of those kids. They're all passed away now. But it's like 19, Susanna Wesley had 19 kids. How about that? She would have a television program if she was alive today. Do you know what she was known for? Now, her husband was a pastor of a church, and they had a house fire when John Wesley was five years of age and Charles was, I think, around one, and eight of the... And this is, this is the hope when you say 19 kids. You, can't, you don't have to feed 19 because by the time the first ones are old enough, they're moving on, and that's what happens. My mom had six kids, but the most she ever had at one time at home were five kids. And this is a picture of my mom and those five kids. And my oldest sister Brenda, all the way to your right, and my older brother Johnny, and sandwiched between Georgiana and Johnny is me. And she's holding Ruth. Because this was the most she ever had at home at one time. And when Brenda got married, she had a child before my mother got pregnant with Becky. So that was really interesting. <laughs> but I can't fathom. I'm just showing you that because large families, not everybody's at home. Thank the Lord. <laughs> not everybody's at home at the same time. So Susanna Wesley was known for this. She would put her apron over her head and all the kids know that she was in prayer and intercession. That's when she was praying. She'd put her apron over her head and she would pray. And when they had that house fire, everybody got out of the house. It was around midnight except John. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement. Because when Charles was grabbed and John was told, follow out the room, when he saw the fire, he ran back in the room, and they thought he was out. And all of a sudden, he was at a window, and they had no ladder in the upper, uh, the second floor of that bedroom. People got on each other's shoulders, got up, and pulled him out of that window while she was praying just before the roof caved in on the house. And John Wesley's life that went all over England preaching the gospel, even came to America, 
all of that was connected to a mother who had 19 kids, but her prayer life is what imprinted. I want to tell you, you cannot go wrong praying with your children. In fact, the greatest ministry mothers can do is to pray with their children. It's to introduce them to conversation with God, talking to God, and out of that, a conduit of God's grace comes pouring into those children's lives. They find what faith is all about in our homes, not outside of our homes. Moms, don't ever underestimate the influence of your prayers. Pray with your children. Say, well, uh, you know, it's kind of chaotic at the end of the day for us, and it doesn't take long to go and kneel down to the bed next to the bed of your child and take her hand. And, and maybe sometimes it's fitting for you to say, listen, I was, I was wrong today. I got on you too much. I did that a lot with Jason, not so much with Kelly. I apologize a lot to Jason in those nightly prayers. And maybe, just maybe, they find out what forgiveness is. And they didn't learn it in Sunday school. They learned it from their parents, from their moms, from their dads. And here's the last thing. Motherhood is kind of like a community. Moms love to trade information. How did you handle that? How did you deal with that? What do you think I should do? Right? All this... Once you find a good source, like it's just like, oh, I've got somebody who really has been through this, and they're helping me. And, and what is going on there is there's, there's this community of witness. And anybody outside of faith that sees that, that's a witness to them. That's a witness. Moms who are walking this out by faith, I'm telling you, you're not only an evangelist in your home, you're an evangelist in a way to everybody around you. They're taking their cues and how to approach difficulties because children can stress you out. I know you probably don't know that. It can be stressful with children. And it can be overwhelming with children. Amen. We, I don't know if we survived our children or they survived us. But God built within moms a tenacity to protect their children especially when it comes to faith and especially when it comes to helping them discover Jesus at an early age. And some people might say, well, you know what? Isn't that kind of like manipulating them and all of this? I want to, I'll get to that in just a moment about parents leading their own children to the Lord. I want the praise team to come up. I'm almost finished. And as they come up, let me, let me reference something here. Part of my research that I was doing on this, I came across a poem by Edgar Allan Poe. To my mother. I read it, and it made absolutely no sense to me. That's why I'm not an English lit major. You know, the glass menagerie. They, my English lit teacher told me what that meant. I said, why didn't they just say that? Why would they have to put it in this odd story and you have to figure it out? Just say this is about trusting people or whatever it is. Just say, y'all need to trust people. Okay, I got it. So I read this poem and it's like, man, these people are so odd. 
And then I read an analysis of it. It's not a long poem. You can look it up. Boy, did I change my tune. I'm going to read you the first part. It's not a long poem. To my mother. Because I feel that in the heavens above, the angels whispering to one another can find among their burning terms of love none so devotional as that of mother. Therefore, by that dear name, I have long called you. You who are more than a mother unto me and fill my heart of hearts where death installed you in setting my Virginia's spirit free. Virginia, I thought, what is that about? Here's the story of Edgar Allan Poe. When he was one year of age, his mom and dad both were in Shakespearean theater. His dad left his mother when he was one year of age. And when he turned two, his mother tragically died. John and Francis Allen in Virginia, Alexandria, Virginia, kind of foster cared him from two all the way to adulthood. That's how he took his middle name. They never adopted him. He carried the name of his biological dad. Didn't know either one of them. Age of two, parents are gone. And I'm looking at that. In the heavens above, the angels whispering to one another can find among their burning terms of love none so devotional as that of mother. And I, I'm thinking, well, he must be talking about the mother he lost when he was two. That's not who he's talking about. He's not talking about Francis Allen. He's actually talking about Maria Clem, his wife, Virginia's mother. He was talking about how grateful he was for his wife and for the woman who gave her life. How easy it is to miss things when we don't know people's journey. And the most important people in his life were the people who poured into his life. Tragedy struck two years after this poem was released and published. His wife passed away. Shortly after that, Edgar Allan Poe passed away at the age of 40. But he read this and he wrote this incredible poem that really celebrated his mother, mother-in-law. Now, I'm going to take the liberty here in just a moment because I often thank God for Joyce Sumrall. And I found a picture that we have of you and your mom. And this is my mother-in-law. And this is my little redhead standing in front of her. A godly woman. So much of her values. And she was probably one of the highest people of integrity that I've ever been around. She's as honest. She don't ask for her opinion. You, unless you don't want the truth, she'll probably not give you an opinion if she thinks it's not going to be good. 
but she got a lot of that from her. Isn't it, wouldn't it be tragic if on Mother's Day and we all leave out of this room and there's someone here that doesn't know the Lord, hasn't met this incredible creator who has a great plan for you, that you walk out of here without committing your life to him. Would you stand with me? Lord, I pray this morning. You see us all in this room. You created all of us. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. We were in our mother's womb. We were woven together the way you wanted us to be. And for each of us, there's a purpose and there's a destiny that you have. And for those who have kind of lived outside of that, without awareness that you created them for you, and today they can experience your great mercy, your great love. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that hasn't surrendered to your lordship, that you want to rule and reign in their heart, you just don't want to be an occasional conversationist. You want to convert them to being t dependent on you. And I pray that anyone in this room that has any doubt as to where they stand with you, that the Holy Spirit would press them not to wait another day, not to put it off another moment, but this morning, right now, they would surrender to you totally and say, Lord, whatever you have for me, I want to experience your grace. I want to surrender my life to you. And while our heads are bowed, if that is you, sir, that is you, ma'am. And you want to do that. Would you step out from where you're standing? Just come and stand here with me. And we're going to surrender ourselves to the Lord. If that's you, just step out now. Come, stand here. And experience His grace. Experience His mercy, His forgiveness. If you're not sure where you stand, don't put it off. Lord, I pray that we would have a season of repentance. If we've really embraced you, but we've really not leaned on you, and we really haven't trusted you to give us knowledge and wisdom and self-control and, and stop making the same mistakes over and over that your lordship wants to take over our broken lives lord for anyone here who's really in a broken place right now and can't figure out which way to go and they know that you have the answer i pray that today they would surrender their brokenness to you